You're listening to Stocks for Docs, a podcast to educate healthcare professionals to build wealth through value investing in the stock market. I'm your host, Dr. Viveta Lobo. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Stocks for Docs. I am your host, Dr. Viveta Lobo, and this is our episode 11. Gosh, I can't believe we've already gotten to double digits. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. Um, So today's episode, we're going to do something a little different, and that is we're going to talk about the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting of 2021. Um, Now, just to give you a little background, you know, why are we talking about this and what's so important about it? Well, the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting is like an event. So if you can think of like a big event in your in your medical specialty for us in emergency medicine, I would say it's like one of our national conferences, right? So like ASEP, uh, for those of you that are in the emergency medicine field or SAEM, for those that are in an educational field, but it's sort of the equivalent of a national meeting. Um, and so Berkshire Hathaway, um, it really has in the industry has sort of been known to set the standard for this lavish annual meeting. It's generally day long. Uh, It's almost like a carnival, really. Um, They have comedy skits and uh, music events and celebrities and dance disco balls uh, and characters. Um, And they really make it a lot of fun and attract over 40,000 people from around the world. Um, And you don't um, the only thing you need to have to, you know, to to be able to to get into the meeting is just one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock, either the Class A or the Class B. Uh, but even if you don't have that, you can buy a pass. Um, so it usually takes place in Omaha, Nebraska, and you really have to plan months in advance because the city of uh, Omaha gets pretty packed during this time. And of course, the keynote speaker is is Warren Buffett, which most people are flying out to see, and uh, his sidekick, Charlie Munger, who's always there. So it's quite the event. Of course, now with COVID, uh, this year, actually, it was held in LA. And so Warren Buffett actually went to LA since Charlie Munger is there and wasn't able to travel. And of course, it was not a live event, uh, but it was um, just a uh, a virtual event, um, but still very impressive. And uh, the goals of the meeting really are just to review Berkshire Hathaway's performance over the year. But it also, I think, is an opportunity for a lot of investors to just learn and understand Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's mindset, uh, their rules, their principles, how they think. Um, there's a Q&A session that in the past has famously gone gone over five, six hours long, Uh, where the general attendees and the media have an opportunity to ask questions directly to them. Um, So it's quite quite the event. And uh, even though it was a virtual event this year, um, you can watch it for free uh, on Yahoo Finance. Like I said, it's about five hours long this year. And it happened May 1st, which was this past Saturday. And it's it's very impressive. I mean, just think about it. Warren Buffett, who's 90 years old, and Charlie Munger, who's 97 years old, was able to sit in front of this camera for, for over five hours and hold this virtual conference, uh, essentially. Uh, and they just are amazing. I mean, I look at them and I'm like, wow, they're still around. They have the energy. They're sharp as a whip. I mean, they answered every question flawlessly, which so much experience and in-depth thought out answers. 
Um, so it's really impressive to just watch even just for education and to, to learn from them, if, if nothing else. So uh, what I wanted to do was just go over kind of the highlights of the meeting, the takeaways. I've been probably following the meetings for the past four or five years now. Um, and I always learn quite a bit from the meeting, you know, whether or not you hold stock in Berkshire Hathaway, I think is irrelevant. But of course, um, the, the more value to me is just learning from them directly. So as I kind of processed the meeting and uh, as I was watching it, I was sort of taking notes and I think it kind of came down to four or five points of advice that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger um, touched upon that I'm going to kind of synthesize and share with you. A lot of these we've talked about in the past and they sort of lie within those four principles. Uh, but I think just the fact that they drew them out and uh, repeated them kind of shows how important they are. And some of these values are um, still valuable and still very effective even today, um, 60 years now since they've been doing this. So uh, it's important stuff, I think, um, to really hone in on and understand. So the first thing they talked about was speculation versus investing. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past, you know, speculation or gambling um, it's kind of riding on hope and luck. And sure, you could get lucky. I mean, you could go to Vegas and bet on red versus black, and that's a 50% chance that you're going to win um, and double your money. But uh, the question is, is that investing? And the answer is no. Um, that's, you know, that's a different type of uh, an activity. Uh, investing is not the same as just sort of guessing or, or basing your thoughts or your money on luck. Um, and he talked about specifically, you know, if you think about our current times um, and you think about uh, what's going on, well, in the past year with COVID um, and other factors, the trading apps, so if you look at apps that deal with trading, um, there's so many out there right now, have really attracted new, uneducated or novice users, right? So it's, there's been a growth of like 50% in the past year alone. Uh, and they've attracted folks with their really user-friendly interfaces. Um, they have gamification often, uh, and they really are targeting young and new investors. But they're marketing as sort of a way to quickly make money. Um, you know, almost like, it's like the fastest inflow of gamblers is what they're producing in some ways, you know, day trading. It probably isn't the best strategy when it comes to investing. And so they highlight, you know, just being careful and that, you know, that is a dangerous path to, to be led on, especially as an uneducated or new or novice investor. And so while there's nothing wrong with using these platforms, I think just knowing what you're doing, educating yourself and not relying only or solely on them for direction is probably important. Um, he also talked about SPACs and we haven't talked about uh, SPAC or SPAC in the past. But SPACs are basically this, it's like a shell or a holding company. So what my understanding, you know, in very layman's terms is this. You have a bunch of investors that will pick a shell company that they'll name whatever they want. So let's name it ABC. Okay, so now this ABC shell company will, has about two years. The people who are running this have two years to find a company that they're going to invest in. So there's this time limit now that these folks have, and there's like a gun pointed at their head where they need to find a company within two years or all these investors who've already invested money into this shell company are going to take their money back. And then the shell company gets nothing. 
So sometimes you may not find a great buy, you know, in two years, and now they're looking for new companies, right? So this is a new company that is not public, that is looking to go public. And so this kind of takes away that waiting or that patience attribute to good investing. But they're getting people to solely invest in this shell company without actually knowing what the company is going to be, what the shell company is eventually going to, to acquire, um, and then that's what the company wants, and then they end up going public through the shell company, and eventually the name will change. So an example of a recent SPAC that I had followed, uh, so most of you know I'm in emergency medicine, and my specialty with an emergency medicine is ultrasound, point of care ultrasound. Um, so a lot of you might have heard of the Butterfly Network, which is this new handheld ultrasound device that has um, really changed the ultrasound or portable ultrasound market in the past few years. It's pretty remarkably, you know, really disrupted this industry uh, from a price point, from a usability point. Um, it's made it way more effective, efficient, and really democratized ultrasound to another level. And so Butterfly as a company just went public through a SPAC. What they did was they had a shell company. So there was this other company called Longview that um, was was the SPAC. And for a long time, Longview was looking around for this for this new you know hip company that they were going to invest in, or they were going to acquire, and had investors already invested in Longview with the hope or with the commitment that this Longview company was going to make a good decision on which new company they were going to acquire. So when it's at this stage and when the, the new company is not disclosed, it generally sells for about $10 a share. And the idea is you're going to gain investors just blindly based on the other investors that have already invested. And so if you have some big name investors who believe in the folks running Longview, then you're going to buy into it as well and say, okay, well, if they invested, it's probably going to be a good decision. And so I'm going to invest at 10 and then as soon as they disclosed, I think it was November of 2020, that they have now acquired Butterfly, it went from 10 to like $20 a share overnight. And then on the stock market ticker, the Longview symbol was on there. And then after the first quarter, that Longview symbol automatically changed now to the Butterfly symbol. And so that's kind of a new way for new companies. It's an easier way. It has less red tape for new companies to go IPO. And so Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett talked about SPACs and said, you know, it kind of defies all the rules of value investing because you're investing in something you don't even know the name of at, at this point. And you're really just relying on other people's expertise or feedback or thoughts or whatever you want to call it. And there's like this artificial time limit to find a great company. And so it's probably not the best idea. Um, so that's another point that they made. And then, of course, you know, they can't actually complete this discussion without talking about the big elephant in the room, which is Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is massive right now. I mean, I'm almost afraid to look every day what the price of Bitcoin is. But it's like north of $58,000, $59,000. I remember Bitcoin when it was just, oh, you know, even a year ago, it was, you know, not even half of that. Um, and so they were careful, I would say, in their answers, or at least Warren Buffett was careful. And he, you know, his take on it was like, well, I don't really want to offend all the thousands of people who, who own or who have bought into Bitcoin. Um, but Charlie Munger was a little bit more direct and 
kind of said that he thought that the whole thing was just disgusting. Uh, and it kind of is contrary to the interests of civilization. And he said he would leave their criticism to others. But I think they kind of plead the fifth on this, but I think their stance is pretty clear um, that this is, for the most part, pure speculation as well. All right, so that was a lot of their first point, which was speculation uh, versus investing. The other things they talked about was um, the dangers of investing in hot industries. Um, so this is something we have talked about in the past. And, you know, an industry that's doing really well um, or is, you know, very popular currently produces a lot of overnight companies. Uh, but the problem is most of them will not survive. Just pure numbers and competitive advantage. Um, there's only a select few that's going to make it. And it's hard in the beginning when they're all starting out to pick those out reliably. Just look at the airline industry. I mean, you could do a Wikipedia search for a list of defunct airline industries and the list is just so long. I mean, the statistics are crazy against um, you doing well in the market. You know, if you just, you want to be careful with it. And a lot of a lot of people have, you know, a lot of very notable investors in the past have said, you know, if you could avoid a single stock, it really should be the one that everyone's talking about from your cab driver to the, the commuters on the train. If it's become the most favorable in the public, then it's probably the one that you want to avoid. It's probably succumbing to social pressures. It's just the competition is really hard and it's hard to stay on top. So uh, just be careful of picking, you know, just blindly a company that you think is going to do well just because it's in the hottest industry currently. And they made a good point because they, what they did was they actually brought up the 20 largest companies about 30 years ago. And I think it was 18, or 1989. They had a list that was the 20 largest companies in the world. And when you think about that list then, uh, not a single of those are now on the list in 2021. And that just tells you that companies have a life cycle. They, you know, they last for so many years. Even the best of companies will often have a life cycle uh, when it's going to be on the top and when it's not. And so just know that it's hard to, to outlast for years. And I was interested then to look at the list for 2021. Um, and this is where Warren Buffett chimes in. Um, so if you look at the list for the 2021 I'll quickly go through the top 20. So the top 20, uh, top one is um, Apple. Then there's Saudi Aramco, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, which is Google, Facebook, Tencent, Tesla, Alibaba, Berkshire Hathaway, Taiwan Semiconductors, Visa, JP Morgan Chase, Johnson & Johnson, Samsung, Kichuan Motai, which is a Chinese company, Walmart, MasterCard, United Health. LVMH Moat, which is from France. And if you look at this list, I would say 13 of them are U.S. companies. And out of the top six, five of them are U.S. companies. Um, so it's pretty impressive if you think about it. And Warren Buffett then chimes that this is not luck. This is not based on luck. Um, you know, he's talked about this before, but he truly believes in investing in American companies and he thinks what makes America great is that we really are investing in this aspirational map. You know, America's system just creates great companies. And we are definitely stronger now than we were 30 years ago and probably are going to continue to grow, you know, in the next 50 years. In that list 30 years ago, I was curious to see who dominated. It was very clear that Japan likely dominated back then. 
but today and in the past years, U.S. has really caught up. And so he truly is encouraging of us to invest um, domestically in U.S. companies. He also then went ahead and actually named a bunch of different companies specifically or, or funds specifically between him and Charlie Munger that I wanted to mention. So he talked about the S&P 500, uh, which he truly likes. And he said that he you know, owns a large amount of it and he's actually going to leave or provide his wife with it um, in his will. Like 90% of that is F- S&P 500 stocks, uh, which is pretty cool to hear him say. And he encourages younger people um, to consider it as a, as a primary investment choice early on, which I have also mentioned here before. The other one that he specifically talked about was Bank of America. You know, he truly likes investing in banks. It's something that's within his circle of competence that he likes and he understands. Um, he specifically likes Bank of America because he feels like it's a pretty traditional bank and he has a large holding in it, I think, after Berkshire Hathaway and Parker um, Hannafin. Um, and so he did mention that. And then Charlie Munger invested for the first time, I think, in four years recently in Alibaba, which is a Chinese company. It's sort of the Chinese Amazon, if you will, uh, which was a little surprising, actually, if you look at his record. But it was, you know, good food for thought to think about why he decided to invest in Alibaba as a company. But he did uh, reveal that as well. Uh, and then they did nod to or kudos to Kraft Heinz as a good company as well that they hold and. Um, They have talked about that in the past. Those are just some of the names that they threw out there. And then, of course, they spent some time uh, talking about Berkshire Hathaway itself. Uh, They went over its revenues from this past quarter, which was over uh, $64 billion. And, you know, it is on that top 20 list. I believe it's number 10 and continues to be a very amazing, stable company that you can purchase. It was interesting because its current map uh, market cap value uh, right now, if you looked it up, is about $638 billion. But in the meeting, they alluded it that it's probably closer to $800 million, billion, excuse me, dollars. And so in that sense, it actually might be a little undervalued, which is you know an interesting uh, fact for value investors to think about buying into Berkshire Hathaway stock. And they also did mention that their successor was going to be Greg Abel, who is currently the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Energy and the vice chair in charge of non-insurance operations and likely be the next CEO after Warren Buffett. Speaking of some other individual names or company names that came up, uh, there was um, some talk about newer companies, newer growth companies specifically. And some of them that were named were Snowflake, with the ticker symbol is S-N-O-W, Shopify, which is S-H-O-P, and Palantir, which is P-L-T-R. And, you know, they talked about these because these have all really good business models, in his opinion, Warren Buffett is, um, they're hyper growth businesses, um, but end of the day, he basically said, you know, he just doesn't know enough about them. There's not enough data out there about them. Um, And it's just hard to assess durability and that competitive advantage again comes into play. And just not knowing it is enough to sort of avoid or keep him from investing in it, which I think is a valuable point. You know, just knowing that you don't know because there's not enough data, because you're not part of that management Uh, because it's just not in your circle of competence, understanding and uh, accepting that fact and then maybe saying, okay, because I don't know, I'm just going to, you know, not invest in this and not worry about missing opportunity because 
like I had mentioned before, there's thousands, I mean, 4,000 companies that are publicly traded, and there's so many wonderful companies that you can buy. And again, we're not looking to buy hundreds, we're looking to buy 15, 20, 25 companies in our lifetime. And so, you know, if something is just not measuring up or meeting all your requirements, you can pass on it and that's okay. You want to find companies that you are totally comfortable with that have answered and met all of your requirements and you can find that very easily if you look. And so I think that's a good lesson to learn as well. And then they touched upon or they explained, you know, kind of how to assess for strong companies. And they listed a couple, you know, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple. You know, these are companies that are are big names. And he even went as far as to say that they're better businesses than Berkshire Hathaway because, you know, they have really high returns and very with less capital invested. And that's sort of what keeps them going is that cash flow uh, and that profitability. Uh, And of course, they have huge and strong moats around them. Uh, multiple moats, each of them that have, each of them has multiple moats that have been able to withstand its harsh competition. Um, And so, you know, just having a great business model is not quite enough. You need to still have the moat, the management, and of course the price, which is really important, but the price needs to be right in order to, to buy into it. And the last thought they had was about the current economy. Currently, Our interest rates are low and our U.S. budget is high. Uh, We are giving out stimulus checks and the public has just become immune to numbers. I mean, a $300 trillion debt if the U.S. is just not a big deal anymore. And so if if that doesn't worry you, if it doesn't confuse you, if you look at the stock market and see the prices... Um, and it doesn't, bef- you know, baffle you as to how it how it's operating at that level. Then you really have no idea what's going on because there's really no way. You know, they they tell us this. There's no way for you to know what the future is going to hold because we are in uncharted territories. These are times like never before, um, and only time will disclose and reveal how things are going to play out. So just know that. Know that you don't know that you cannot predict the future. And so tread cautiously, tread carefully, because you really have no idea how the market's going to swing. They actually said it was probably the most interesting movie in economics that they have ever seen. And they've been around, you know, for almost 100 years. So uh, I think it's it's good advice to pay attention to um, and to take to heart. So I'm going to leave you with that. I thought overall it was, you know, another pretty remarkable meeting. Uh, I did miss some of the entertainment and the other stuff that goes along with it, but still really remarkable to see, you know, two men in their 90s with over 60 years of investing uh, behind them, so sharp, so uh, on point. Um, and it's 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 truly a remarkable achievement, I think. So... If you have time, check it out. You know, you could skim through it and, and you know, just know that it's, it's available on Yahoo Finance for free probably for a while. But with that, I will leave you for this, this week. I hope you um, enjoyed the episode. I would love to hear back from you. Any feedback or questions or topics for the future that you're interested in listening or learning about, please, please feel free to leave me a comment on our website. So until then, take care, be safe, be healthy. Cheers. Stocks for Docs is a podcast designed to educate healthcare professionals on building wealth through value investing. 
take the first steps towards securing your future and listen weekly. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as Stocks for Docs.